Welcome to another episode of Follow the Brand. I am your host, Grant McGaw, CEO of Five Star BDM, a five-star personal branding and business development company. I want to take you on a journey that takes another deep dive into the world of personal branding and business development using compelling personal stories, business conversations, and tips to improve your personal brand. By listening to the Follow the Brand podcast series, you will be able to differentiate yourself from the competition and allow you to build trust with prospective clients and employers. You never get a second chance to make a first impression. Make it one that will set you apart, build trust, and reflect who you are. Developing your five-star personal brand is a great way to demonstrate your skills and knowledge. If you have any questions for me or my guests, please email me at grant.magaw, spelled M-C-G-A-U-G-H, at 5star BDM, B for brand, D for development, M for masters.com. Now let's begin with our next five-star episode on Follow the Brand. Welcome to the Follow the Brand Podcast. I am your host, Grant McGall, CEO of Five Star BDM, where we help you to build a five-star brand that people will follow. Technology, business strategy, thought leader and disruptor, Christopher Cunney, who was the first African-American promoted into the C-suite in the 120-year history of Piedmont Healthcare, joins me as my special guest on the Follow the Brand podcast. He asked, what is your success plan? What is your personal brand strategy to position yourself for the next great opportunity? Are you a technical operational CIO? Or are you a CIO that understands the business and how you leverage technology to support the business? Many times, you will need to reach outside your current organization to gain the skill sets and grooming needed for promotion into senior leadership. Connie learned to cultivate strategic relationships which have helped him to lead transformation efforts in the organizations in which he has served. He has learned that technology is a component of every executive decision in the business enterprise. He strives to educate and demystify the technical component so that executive staff can better understand that they are a digital company that delivers healthcare. Christopher Cunning currently serves as Senior Vice President of Digital Acceleration for Divergent. He's responsible for developing new business and expanding existing contracts. In addition, he initiates and executes solution strategies, win themes, and partner strategies. He recently served as Chief Strategist and Business Development for DSS Inc., Geno EHR product line. As an experienced healthcare information technology executive and strategist, Cunny works with hospitals, health systems, accountable care organizations, clinically integrated networks, ancillary service providers, and physician-owned entities 
to provide guidance and insights specific to emerging healthcare technology offerings, compliance-related issues, and technology adoption. As a valued member of senior management teams, he has contributed a seasoned, broad-based perspective with the maturity to lead IT transformation efforts in all areas of healthcare business. His business philosophy is to create practical IT strategies and implementation plans designed for maximum return. He has appeared as a subject matter expert at numerous healthcare IT industry conferences and events and in a variety of publications including the Atlanta Business Chronicle, Modern Healthcare, Who's Who in Business and Industry, and Who's Who in Black Atlanta. Christopher was most recently identified by the Healthcare Information Management System Society, better known as HEMS, as a 2019-2020 industry change maker. Let us welcome Christopher Cunning to the Follow the Brand podcast, where we are building a five-star brand that you can follow. Good day, everyone. This is Grant McGaw, your host of the Follow Brand Podcast, and I have, as always, a very special guest. He, I'm going to call him my hero. Why is he <laughs> my hero? I have been in information technology for 20, 25 years. I can count on my hand how many senior executives I have met that were people of color in the C-suite of different systems in Fortune 500 companies on down that were in that seat. And Christopher Cunning is one of those individuals. He has a fantastic story. We're going to share that story today with you and learn a little bit more about what his passions are. So, Christopher, you'd like to introduce yourself? Oh, well, hi, Grant. Thank you again for uh, inviting me to participating in this program. I'm excited to be here. And uh, you too are my hero as well. You know, as you know, I've recently started my own podcast and uh, I'm trying to follow in the big footsteps that you have have laid uh, in this area. And I've learned a lot from what you've done here too. So you're definitely a trailblazer in this space as well too. But as you stated, my name is Christopher Cunney. Uh, I like to define myself as a uh, technology and business strategist and thought leader and disruptor. Um, you know, throughout my career, I have um, tried to um, bring, you know, a different perspective to the table when it comes to technology, um, when it comes to diversity and inclusion, um, and when it comes to just thought leadership as well, too. And I have a passion for, you know, supporting uh, the underserved communities, um, and you know, really trying to lay a foundation that our future generations can um, follow, um, based on my past experiences, both uh, you know my successes as well as my challenges and failures as well too. Because I think that's how we ultimately learn and and build character is not through those things we been successful at, but those challenges that we've overcome, and so. Yeah, my, my background is uh, 35 plus years uh, in technology, about 20 plus of that in the healthcare technology space. I've had the opportunity to work for a wide variety of different companies, uh, Hewlett Packard, 
uh, AT&T, Versal Technologies. I ran my own consulting practice for almost a decade and most recently served as chief of strategy and business development um, for a company called DSS. I actually just recently transitioned from there um, and now serving as an industry, uh, again, advisor and strategist. So I'm happy to be here. And also in my part-time, I actually serve as an adjunct professor at Morehouse School of Medicine in their healthcare informatics program, and most recently uh, with uh, Dignity Health's Global Education Program through Arizona State University. So I'm happy to be here. I love that you're giving back in that capacity. And I want to jump right into this story because this sure. is what intrigues me. You, you know, you, you went to school, you went to college, all that type of thing. But then I look at your just your profile, your LinkedIn profile, and what it tell, what stands out is that you were the CIO at Piedmont, yes, hospital in Atlanta, yes. And you before that, you were working at HP, like you said, and you were in operations and that. How did you make that leap? I mean, what, what happened? What, tell us that story. Uh, yeah. You know, it's a, it's an interesting story, uh, to say the least. Um, and I'll try to tell it as quickly as I can, uh, and I'll you know leave out some of the gory details. But um, to your, you know, you, you mentioned I um, I'd worked for Hewlett Packard for almost ten years. I uh, through that period of time, I actually got my master's degree, executive master's degree in management of technology from Georgia Tech and I uh, was really frustrated with not being able to take the next leap uh, uh, at HP into senior management roles, primarily because it was a, such a large organization and there wasn't a lot of turnover leadership. And so you literally had to wait years before you know, people would move from their jobs until you could you know, potentially vie for those positions. And you had a lot of people who were already in front of you. And so I decided to leave HP and, and go to a smaller company. This was right around the dot-com bubble time. And there was a lot of energy around technology and, and the internet and all of that. And so I, I, I left there and went to a smaller company called Versal Technologies, where I served as basically the CIO equivalent. Uh, it was the uh, senior director of IT, but I ran IT operations for them. Uh, had a lot of experience through that endeavor, uh, getting involved in various mergers and acquisitions, um, launching a whole new um, brand for the company, uh, as well as spinning off our uh, IT organization into a for-profit arm. We began providing outsourcing services through our IT uh, division as well, too. And one day I was talking to a colleague of mine, and, and we had decided that, you know, we see all these people making millions of dollars on the dot-com stuff. Why don't we go out and try to do this ourselves? Let's start building our own websites and selling those. And so we actually ended up buying a, a small um, website development company and started building websites. I ended up leaving Virtual Technologies to jump into that full time. I was probably two years too late because shortly after I did that, the bubble burst. <laughs> um, no one was buying websites. The whole market dried up. And I then had to start teaching. Uh, as a way, way, means of making income. And so I was able to secure a job at DeVry University as an adjunct professor. Uh, and I started teaching a wide variety of courses. I was kind of like that utility player who would get a, come, come in and teach whatever, whether it was um, database design or networking or environmental science or you know critical thinking and problem solving. Just give me the book. I'll learn it enough to be able to teach it. Uh, and that's what I was doing for a while. And I was actually teaching my strategic thinking and problem solving class 
And I was telling my, my students that, hey, you know, that, you know, you need to be looking at the various industry trends that are taking place and, you know, seeing where the momentum at and that those where the job opportunities will be, you know, and for example, healthcare you know, is a growing industry and healthcare technology. You might want to take a look at that as an area of opportunity. And then one day I was brushing my teeth and looking at myself in the mirror and said, well, you're telling your students to get into healthcare. Why aren't you <laughs> considering that as an option as well? You, you know, you enjoy teaching, but you know you want to do something different too. Long story short, uh, I was able to secure a job uh, as the literally the lowest level manager they had at Piedmont. Uh, I was running the, the help desk in the, in the data center. The day I and so part of my story is a story of being at the right place at the right time. And then just trusting, you know, what people were encouraging me to do as well. But anyway, the day I started was the day that the, the person that hired me decided to resign. Wow. So I was walking in the door and they were walking out. Well, that became really an opportunity for me because I already had been a director of IT before in a previous company. And I kind of started assuming their responsibilities and about six or seven months into my tenure there, the CIO said, hey, it seems like you got your, your handle around this. Why not just move you into this job? And you can become the director of um, support. So I managed a help desk in a data center and a few other parts of IT support as well. Um, fast forward four years or so, I continued to get additional promotions to senior director, uh, taking over more of the organization. Um, and my staff would, would tell me, um, Hey, I think, you know, we want you to be our next CIO. I'm like, you know, at the time I was like, no, I'm not even thinking about being a CIO. I'm just trying to learn this business so I can go out and consult in it. Um, I have no aspirations for being the CIO. I said, no, you would be a great CIO. So long story short, one day I just decided to test the waters with the, um, previous CIO and, and said, Hey, you know, um, I won't mention his name, but I asked him, you know, have you had a succession plan? Do you have a succession plan? And he said, because he had been thinking about retiring. He said, no, I really don't have a succession plan. I uh, hadn't really thought about it. Uh, why? He said, well, you know, people are saying, you know, I, they think I might be a good CIO. I might be interested in, you know, pursuing that if you think there's a real chance for me to be considered for it. Uh, long story short, he said, I don't really think you have a chance to get this job. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> and there was a myriad of reasons uh, that he gave. Uh, and um, But long and short of it, I don't think you got a shot at it. You're probably better off going to a smaller healthcare system, get your cut your teeth there, and come back when opportunities present themselves and maybe a Piedmont might be interested in you. Um, I actually went to his boss and had a similar conversation and got a similar answer. Um, and so um, then I, I kind of got pissed. <laughs> <laughs> and I can respect the fact that you didn't think I was ready. And, and there was probably some valid reasons to that as well. I still needed to be groomed some, but that there's no one willing to coach me, groom me, support me and prepare me for that um, was the, I think the thing that really stood out for me. Um, and so I, I, I went about the task of trying to um, learn more what it was like to be a CIO. Long story short, um, I ended up going to a web uh, a, um, um, a session sponsored by the Atlanta Black NBA Association. 
and they were hosting um, a roundtable of Black CIOs from different industries. Um, and I had a conversation with one of the CIOs on that panel, who at that time was the CIO of MARTA. Um, I had a conversation with her, and actually African-American female at that. Um, I had a conversation with her. Again, long story short, she took me on as her protege. Uh, she coached me on the things I needed to do to prepare to move into an executive leadership role, including my brand, you know, and positioning my brand. So one of the things I learned throughout that journey was the importance of the, your brand, your personal brand, um, and how you are perceived, you know, in your organization. Are you perceived as someone who can operate at the executive level? Do you act that way? Do you dress that way? Do you communicate that way? Are you involved in uh, uh, the same interests as the other executive leaders? Do you attend those events that people don't want to go to after work that they're at? Are you involved in the philanthropic efforts that the executive leadership are involved in? You got to get plugged in because at the end of the day, it's about relationships. The interesting thing about moving up the corporate ladder um, at the it's really a pyramid. You know, at the end of the day, the bottom of the pyramid is the uh, individual contributors. The next level are supervisors and managers, the next level are directors, the next level are VPs, and then the next level is the C-suite. The interesting thing you notice about that pyramid is the higher you go up in the pyramid, the smaller it gets, right? Yeah. Because there can only be one CEO. <laughs> there can only be one CFO, one CIO, one CMO. And so the game, and it's, it's, there's a really good book called the, the Game Revealed. It talks about this pyramid and the pyramid is designed not to promote everybody. The pyramid is actually designed to eliminate the majority of people from the C-suite because it can only be one. And so at the bottom of that level, you get, you get um, compensated for your efforts. You get a performance plan at the beginning of the year. You meet those numbers and they give you additional salary. You, know, you might get promoted to a supervisor level. When you start getting into the director levels and above, you are invited into those levels. People see your potential, they take you on as a protege and they sponsor you through the organization. Why? Because those levels get smaller and smaller. It's a smaller group of people. It is all about relationships at that point. And capabilities, obviously you gotta be capable, but it's all about relationships. So if you don't have individuals in the organization that you can see as your mentors and more importantly, your sponsors, and you're not asking and, and, and cultivating those relationships, then a lot of us get frustrated. And we tend to think that it, it then becomes, oh, well, they don't want to promote because I'm a woman or I'm, or I'm black or um, I'm, uh, I'm uneducated. Well, a lot of those executives don't have post-secondary degrees. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you have people at the lower level that have more degrees than some of the people at the top echelons of the business. Because we think if we go get more degrees, that's going to somehow validate that we're qualified for the position. Well, don't stop doing that because education is important, but you got to build those relationships. And, and that whole process taught me uh, the importance of establishing relationships with people who ultimately became my sponsors um, in that organization and helped to start to now pull me through those executive levels. And again, long, much longer story than I'm going to tell tonight, and I'll tell you over a cocktail one day, all the gory details. But um, I ended up, um, uh, my sponsor ended up applying for a job 
uh, or getting promoted into a, a, another job at, uh, at MARTA. She became kind of second in command. And she asked me to uh, interview for her job as an exercise to learn how to interview in executive level positions. Uh, well, I got offered the job. Wow. Nice. <laughs> so I was actually planning to leave um, Piedmont to go work for MARTA as the CIO. Um, and through some information that was passed on to other leaders about that, uh, their, their paradigm shift uh, with that leadership team. And I was then invited to be a part of a program for up and coming executives um, that they were going to prepare to move into C-suite positions. And so long story short, I became the first person to go through the program and the first person to uh, to be promoted into a C-suite position. And I was actually the first African-American in the C-suite at Piedmont at that time in its 115, 20-year history. Um, and it was all about understanding, you know, that whole model of uh, corporate structure. And it doesn't matter what company you're at, the model is the same. Once you get to certain levels in the organization, you have to have sponsors. You have to have people who are supporting, who are pushing you and pulling you through uh, the organization and helping you open those doors up for you. And I learned that. Let me ask you this because you you had a CIO position ready for you. Yeah. Your mentor (laughs) had already groomed you. You went and you got the job. Yeah. But you held off to go through this program at Piedmont. Yeah. You just felt it was just a better track for you. Yeah, well, that's funny you should say that. Um, um, and so, and I went home and I had this conversation with my spouse and said, hey, I got this job at, at MARTA as the CIO of MARTA, right? Pretty big job. Um, but yet, you know, being also asked to stay here and basically get vetted for a year. It was a year-long vetting process at Piedmont and not and not guaranteed the job. You still had to earn it. Yeah. Um, so I actually... Um, prayed about it. And uh, the man upstairs told me, he says, I need you to stay. He said, it's, he said that he actually said, it's not about you. It's, it's about everybody who doesn't think it's possible. And you proved them wrong. Now, were the same people that told you no, had they yes. retired and gone or they yes. just changed their minds? They well, one, a couple of them became my advocates. Nice. Um, once they, once they, once I built a relationship with them, that's why I was, you know, stressing that importance of building that relationship with them, so they understand your capabilities. You got a chance to interact with because at the end of the day, the CFO, the CIO, the CEO, they're all human beings too, right? And and we help people we like, and we know, and we have relationships with. That's just human nature. And I needed to build those relationships in order for those folks to see me in a different light and then be able to be prepared to operate at that level, too. I mean, I couldn't just get the job just because I had to, you know, show my capabilities in that space. Um, But more importantly, I had to build those strong relationships with that executive leadership um, so that they felt comfortable to invite me now into that world. That you could you could swim with the sharks. They had to make exactly. sure you could swim, right? Because this is you. You said some very important things. First of all, it's good to have technical knowledge. Technical Absolutely. knowledge will get you to a certain area on that pyramid, right? Right. Administrative knowledge or managerial knowledge mm-hmm. 
will will help you because then you're you're helping to move the work and you're you're showing results. Exactly. Right. And then when you get into that next round, the C suite, mm-hmm. it's an even deeper challenge. And it yes, causes it those people skill, those skill sets that you do not, no one can, I don't believe, maybe teach you that in college. You maybe get that professional coaching. Like you said, That's right. you got to be mentored. Somebody's got to give you, transfer that experience to you. And exactly. the understanding of why you have to make certain, because it's decision-making that's right. at a level that's different from a decision-making at a director level. What a Exactly. That's right. And then having those coaches, those mentors, those sponsors uh, advocating for you, because I'm sure when I wasn't in the room, they were having conversations about me, right? And I had to have people advocating from on my behalf that, oh, yeah, he can do this job. He's capable. You know, let's, let's give him a shot. Um, and, and and if you don't have that, and I don't think it matters, you know, to some degree, it does matter a lot if you're a person of color, but I think everyone to some degree has to have that, no matter what your background is. You still have to have people who are advocating for you, which is why a lot of times you'll see somebody come into an organization. You've been there five years. They come in in six months they are a year. They're promoted. And then three years later, you're reporting to them. And you're like, well, how did that happen? <laughs> You know, it's because they built relationships. They had those relationships and those individuals became their sponsors and, and pulled them through the organization to get them to the, where they were. Uh, and these, these are classic, uh, <laughs> better understanding of what and how you operate, especially in corporate America. Right. And, and where you're at, you've had different stints as you worked at small businesses, mm-hmm. you worked as a consultant. You worked at mega tech companies. You've worked yes. uh, in the healthcare industry. Mm-hmm. Now you're looking again, go back into consulting. But your pedigree is solid. I mean, you could go walk into another CIO role at another healthcare system. Yeah, you're ready. I like to say I'm a reformed CIO. I like to say I'm a reformed CIO. Reformed. I, yeah. Even when I ran my consulting practice, I did a lot of virtual CIO and interim CIO work uh, in that role as, as well, too. And although I enjoy, you know, um, leading transformation efforts in organizations, I, I really and I, I'm really, I think, at a point where I want to be more of the advisor, the consultant, the, uh, the consult, the strategist for organizations and work with individuals who want to operationalize those strategies. That, that's, that's where my creative juices come. And I think that's where I, you know, I find it. Well, I'll tell you thing. one thing I hope you consider as well is teaching other people of color, women that are out there in IT, how to really get to that C-suite, the professional coaching the mentorship that has to take place, the mind shift. Yes. Uh, you know, from the business mind that because there's different there's entrepreneurial mindsets, mm-hmm. right? There's managerial, administrative mindsets. Exactly. Then there's technical mindsets. And I always never under truly understood that, you know, in my world, I'm in sales. They tell you, oh, go talk to the CIO. Well, the CIO has a different set of um challenges that he's dealing with that may right. not necessarily relate to what you're doing. You're right. Getting a technical solution, like, I don't really deal with that. You need to go talk to this person or that person. 
Yeah, um, it's, it's interesting you, you you share that that perspective. One of the things I, I used to do a lot with some of my uh, clients who were selling solutions into uh, healthcare, I used to teach a, a course for them for their sales team on how do you sell to the CIO. You now, what's the strategy around behind that selling? Um, and it's not so much selling as it again is building relationships and being positioned as an advisor and an extension of their uh, IT team. That's how you want to be really viewed by them. You don't want to be seen as a vendor. You want to be seen as a partner and um, and understanding what their challenge, their overall challenges are and becoming a problem solver for any of those challenges, even if they don't benefit you monetarily today. Mm-hmm. And so you go in and you want to understand what their priorities are and, and the challenges that they're dealing with and then help them solve those priorities or those challenges. If you do that, it's like, again, human nature. You know, I'm then more willing to look to you again when I have another problem or another challenge. And maybe at one point in time, one of those challenges will be a solution that you have. Right. And they're going to they're going to be much more open and receptive at that time. So you have to play the long game to a certain degree, you know, with some of these or with many of the executive leadership. But it really is about becoming and being viewed as that trusted advisor. And once you position yourself that way and not just a vendor selling a a widget or a product, then you have a greater opportunity uh, to understand the real challenges in that organization, what their business priorities are, so that you can now bring back services, solutions, resources to help solve those problems or close those gaps. I totally agree with you. I've learned that over time, that at those senior levels, they're dealing with the holistic view of the business. Mm-hmm. That's right. How does that impact, you know, from a financial level? What does that look like from a, a human capital exactly. level? What are the true initiatives? What are the, what is, where is the business? Because even healthcare is a business. Where is the business right. trying to go? Exactly. And, and are you there? Like right now we have digital transformation that is right on the, not I want to say the doorstep, it's in the lobby of a lot of these healthcare systems that have not traditionally budgeted for the level of investment that really needs to take place to have a patient-centric. This episode is brought to you by Five Star BDM. Five Star BDM is a professional consulting and advisory group keenly focused on business development services for small to mid-sized businesses and entrepreneurs. Although every business is unique, they often share challenges that can be addressed through smart branding. Services include process improvement and operations, digital strategy and transformation, business intelligence, digital marketing, and personal branding. Our five-star business and personal branding company has helped a number of professionals and organizations to optimize and grow. The result is more business, more opportunities, better reach, positive outcomes. Please visit www.5starbdm.com to learn more and view all the episodes of Follow the Brand. Uh, uh, Technology uh, facing platform Exactly. Not like that today. And that's that's a huge challenge. 
Absolutely. You know, we have to, you know, and again, one of the things I, I used to want to do with our senior leadership team, first and foremost, because it starts there, that the, the decisions around technology investments have extended beyond just the CIO. Now, the, the CMO, the CMIO, the chief nursing officer, the CEO, these individuals are much more savvier now about IT than they were 20 years ago. And 20 years ago, they trusted the CIO primarily blindly to select the technologies um, that they would be investing in in the future. Now you've got the realization that I, as a business leader, every clinical and every business decision I make has an IT component built into it. And I need to understand what that is, just like I understand the staff, just like I understand the the, the operations piece. I need to understand how IT is affecting what I do in business. And and once I understand that, then I can make smarter decisions about those investments that I'm making in technology. And so I'm not just solely dependent upon one individual's view of the world. I have a much more hopefully holistic view because I'm engaging other stakeholders in those discussions as well too, because at the end of the day, let's take an EHR. I, I as a CIO, will never use the EHR. I'm not a clinician. I'm never gonna treat a patient using an EHR. The nurses and doctors and lab techs and pharmacists and you know uh, other folks who manage hospital operations will touch the EHR. So shouldn't they be involved and understand you know, what that EHR is doing, what they want it to do? And driving this as a business or clinical transformation effort that has IT as a component to it. But it's not the the only driver of it. It shouldn't actually be the driver of it. It should be an enabler to it. Uh, And so you're starting to see those those executive leaders play a a greater role in the decision-making process. And it is important to help educate them and demystify technology. And I felt like that was one of my roles as a CIO. It's my job to demystify technology. If you don't understand why we need to buy this sand, you know, why we need to invest $2 million or $3 million in upgrading our sand or, you know, upgrading our network or building this firewall, well, let me break that down for you. <laughs> let me talk to you in terms that you understand so you understand the value of this investment that you're having to make. Because IT, is, in my opinion, is the next utility. When you think about a hospital operations, a hospital Today's hospital in the 21st century could not function without electricity, effectively. Could not function without water and plumbing, effectively. And and I would argue they could not function without IT, effectively, because everything is driven now by technology. From the time you register that patient to the time they come in and check in to what medications you give them, the time you process a bill, to paying staff, to... The air conditioning working <laughs> in the hospital, it's all driven by technology. Uh, and the organization's leadership needs to understand the real value of it. And so it's become- well, I think they are trying that. I know that they get it now because the right. moment you get that first ransomware- mm, Exactly. You realize how it affected your brand, right. how it could, could completely yes. uh, destroy you financially. That's right. And you, you said it's a necessary, I don't even call it necessary, it's an enabler. Like you it's have the cost a of doing business. car that takes you to work and back. You have to have That's it. right. That's right. It's the cost of doing business now That's it. That's in healthcare. It. It's not even a debate whether I should have it. It's how do I, how do I um, leverage it and how do I do that in the most cost-effective way so I get the return on investment that I'm seeking. 
um, because you, it's not even a debate about having. It's like, do you have to have electricity? Well, oh, duh, yeah, you do. Uh, and you don't debate whether or not I should have electricity. You might debate how you leverage it and how much you use it, uh, you know, how you uh, maximize that, but you don't debate the need for it. Uh, and that's the same thing now with technology. You don't debate the need for it. It's a necessary part of uh, uh, the, the the business. We are digital companies that deliver healthcare now. And this, and I like how you said that because that's been the change and the challenge. I've talked to other CIOs about they're giving a they're given a tactical budget every mm-hmm. year. It's a tactical budget. I mean, there's no right. innovation in the budget. However, from a competitive standpoint, hospital systems have to differentiate themselves and their brand right. with technology because the consumer is expecting a digital experience. That's right. You can no longer, I, I at hospitals, I talked to one just, just recently, said, man, some of these systems are still using fax as a enabler. Right, right. This is like this. Which, like, which makes no sense even stay in time. Exactly. You know, this is yeah. very old technology. Right. Absolutely. And so that's, and so there's two types of, of CIOs that are starting to, um, you know, to emerge. Uh, one is that traditional operational CIO who knows how to keep the lights on. And I'm going to do the basic blocking and tackling of IT. And then those, there's those who understand the business of healthcare and how you can leverage technology to support the business, create new business lines, improve more efficiencies, make better and smarter decisions, differentiate yourself in the marketplace. And so what you're starting to see happen now in many organizations who, you know, who struggle with this, they're going out and hiring people from other industries and making them chief digital officers. Correct. Right. And so those people bring a whole different view and perspective to the table because they understand from other verticals the real value of IT and how we can leverage it to differentiate ourselves and improve you know, our bottom line and meet our overall strategic goals through the use of technology. Well, I tell you, Chris, this has been an interesting discussion. I am so happy that we got together. I know my audience is going to gather all the different golden nuggets that you have shared. And I always get to my point of my show, I like to unplug, meaning I've asked you a lot of questions. I want you to talk directly to my my audience (laughs) and and address them for their needs in today's world. You have gone through a lot of different changes and transformations in your mm-hmm. career. And you've had some great milestones and now you're on the precipice of doing even something even greater you know, on your next adventure. How do you advise that individual who's right now, whether they're, they're in IT or information technology, they've gotten you know, a certain amount of schooling and sure. you've talked about, yeah, you need mentorship, you need advocacy, but talk to them about the confidence they need you know, being a person of color or a woman in, in a traditionally male environment and how you had to traverse and sit in a lot of those worlds where you're the only person that looks like you. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I, I, I think a couple of things, and, I, and I've really been blessed. So uh, I had um, a, a, an, upgrade, a, an upbringing that really shaped, I think, my view of the world and my view of who I am. Um, my great, my grandmother, um, on my father's side of the family, uh, actually was a college graduate. She, you know, back probably in the 
40s, 30s, 40s, went to, went to college, Albany State, um, historically black college, and became a teacher. And uh, not only did she become a teacher, she became a principal in her community as well, too. Um, and it was a very agrarian society back then, too. And so my family owned a farm and we had a fairly large farm. So uh, we not only were farmers so who own over 600 plus acres of land at that time, uh, she would, they were also educators as well, too, and business owners. Um, and then she instilled that into my father, who also went to college and got his master's degree and became an educator and, and, and an entrepreneur as well, too. And even on my mother's side of the family, who weren't necessarily highly educated, but uh, instead of had a very strong family values around hard work um, and uh, a sense of purpose in, in life as well, too. And so, you know, kind of mixing that whole, you know, um, stew of, you know, education, understanding my, my, my background, my history. When I was growing up as a kid, my parents used to not only give me, and I'm 6'4", 250, I played football and sports. I'm a big guy. And so my parents not only gave me the classic footballs and basketballs and things of that nature, but we got chemistry sets. We got microscopes. You know, we got model rockets. Uh, we got black history books. So we were not only being taught American history, we were also being taught our history as well, too. And so, um, you know, I, I, I came, I was raised with a sense of understanding of my, who I was, you know, where I came from, um, you know, the strength of my culture uh, and that it is actually my responsibility to be better and to succeed because of all the other sacrifices everyone before me made for me to be here. So it was almost a sense of um, obligation to not you know, give in to my insecurities, um, my disappointments and challenges. And trust me, I've had my set of those as well, too. Um, but, you know, I've always asked myself the question, what's the worst that can happen? And can I survive it? And so a lot of my decisions I've made in my life and career have always been based on that mantra. If it's if it's if the worst that can happen, I could survive it. Then it's not really a risk. Right. It's, I mean, if, it would be a risk if I jumped out of a plane without a parachute. Right. Probably <laughs> not going to survive that. Uh, but if I jumped out of a plane with a parachute, my my prospects are good that if the parachute's working. I know all, and I remember everything I was taught. I'm probably going to survive, you know, at the end. And so I've always tried to operate with that kind of mindset, uh, even before I had the mentors and others who taught me the co corporate culture and the unwritten words about how you progress in your career. I've always tried to operate it with that mindset. And I've had situations where, you know, I've been told my services are no longer needed. <laughs> And they're going to return me to the community <laughs> and, and, and surviving that as well, too, um, because that teaches you something as well. If you've never, ever lost a job, you know, been, you know, been fired or, you know, job downsized or whatever, uh, then you, you, you never really realize um, that you can recover from these things. They're, they're not, you know, they're not showstoppers. They're just bumps in the road. And in fact, they build character. They make you strong and they make you more committed to pursuing your purpose and vision in life. And so uh, I've had, you know, 
yeah, even as a consultant, I've had clients that say, okay, well, good. I'm, we're happy with it. We're, we're moving on to something else. Great. And I am, you know, I'm, I'm here for a purpose. I'm here for a, a minute, but I'm not going to define it, my entire life on just this one thing that takes place. And so I've tried to operate always from that perspective. And I've always tried to be prepared too. I mean, you can't just go in and not be prepared. So I tried to do the extra work. I tried to be, you know, um, um, I know my game. So when the door opens, I can play. Um, so don't just get into this game and not be prepared. Once the door opens, you got to step through it and you got to step through it boldly and confidently, even when you got plenty of people around you who don't want you there. And that's okay. Use, as an old saying, use your haters as your motivators. You got to <laughs> use that, you know, that energy as fuel to show them, you know, that you're the person missing out on this opportunity of me being in the room. You should take advantage of me being in this room with you because you're going to grow and benefit from that uh, just as much as I'm going to grow and benefit from being in this room with you if you open yourself up to that. But if you I don't, tell you, you're not going to stop me. You are clearly on top of your game. You have clearly been an asset to a lot of others uh, in your in your career. And I, I appreciate you being on Follow Brand. Now, if people want to get in touch with you, what is the best way? Yeah, I mean, um, the, the, the easiest way is to, to just um, reach out to me on LinkedIn. I, I, I literally accept every LinkedIn invite. I never turn down a LinkedIn invite because you never know who knows who. You never know what door they can open up for you. So I always accept every person who reaches out to me via LinkedIn. Um, that's the best way. And I don't have one of those LinkedIn profiles where you got to prove who you are. Do you really know me or whatever? It's open. My email's on it. You know, you can reach out to me that way. And, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll eventually get back to you. I mean, it won't be that I'm ignoring you. It's probably the volume of requests and things of that nature. But I'm always um, open to connecting with people who are interested in my story, my journey, and who I can help and vice versa, who can help me. I don't profess to have all of this figured out either. Uh, and I'm always looking for new doors to open as well, too. So I, I always keep those options open. So that's absolutely the best way to reach out to me. And like you, you know, I'll just do a quick plug. I started my own podcast as well, you know, taking you know notes from you called Straight Out of Health IT. Uh, it's a great podcast that you know, gives my view of the whole IT industry and the people that have been in my circle as well, too. So uh, I encourage folks to, to to tune in on that as well. Um, but that's but that's the best way to, to reach out to me. Just, just well, I tell you, I've listened to your podcast. It's been wonderful. Thank You've you. Been a great, great job. You've got great guests. And you're talking about relevant subject matter. Thank you. That's what it's all about. You want to give back. You want yeah. to give knowledge, education, experience, encouragement, confidence yeah. to our listeners. You have done that today, and I truly, truly appreciate that. Thank I you. encourage the audience to listen to all the episodes of Follow the Brand at www.5starbdm. And that is B for brand and B for development, infomasters.com. Thank you very much, Christopher, for being on the show. And we'll Thank catch you for up having me. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. All righty.